everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and joining me today is David Schaub. We're talking all about Jessica Jones Season 3, and if you haven't listened to it yet, I did cover the first two seasons on this podcast, so I will link to that in the show notes, and you can check that one out if you haven't yet as well. But David, before we dive into everything that went on this season, which was quite a bit, what is it that you like about this character? Because for me, Jessica Jones was just not necessarily fresh blood when it came to the Marvel Netflix shows, but having a female superhero take the lead on one of the shows was obviously nice. And having read some of the comics before the show, I was excited to see how they would take the character and put her on the small screen because she's not really a character who gets a ton of interest in the comics, it seems. You know, she has a few really good storylines and she doesn't quite have the same history as some of the other characters like Daredevil or Luke Cage or even Iron Fist. So what drew you to this character in this show initially? Well, happy to be here. I really was drawn in to Jessica Jones season one. And some of it is it breaks so many of the tropes that I mm -hmm. think so many superhero shows and content are just buried under. And I think it just brushes so many of them away, even more so than Daredevil. Even Daredevil did that in its season one to a degree. But I don't think as much as we see it in Jessica Jones for all of the seasons. I think there's a lot of choices they make that are very good. They choose to say, no, we are not going to have costumes. No, we are not going to have secret superhero names. All of these things are basically just gone. For the most part, no one has secret identities. That is such a breath of fresh air. To some degree, but that comes up. Yeah, it's like they're more so everyday people. Matt Murdock is a lawyer. Jessica Jones is a private eye. They aren't really going around having things like Avengers Tower, where they're constantly going there, or, you know, they're not getting stuff from Tony Stark to make it really feel unrealistic in a sense. Because as you and I know, through discussing Supergirl here and there, a lot of the things that happen in Supergirl definitely would not happen here. And while I don't think there's really anyone who has super strength to the extent that Jessica Jones does, you know, someone having the skills the skill set that she has otherwise and the skills that Matt Murdock has, that's something that's more realistic and more grounded, I guess is the best way to put it with these shows. It all feels so in tune with what's going on, especially in New York and what's going on within even the little individual communities. You know, you have Harlem, you have Hell's Kitchen, you have all of these different areas of the city that these shows seem to focus on. And it just gives you this sense of community, even though Jessica Jones isn't really the community kind of person. <laughs> she needs a community. Whether or yes. not she <laughs> wants one or not is a very different question. I agree. Like, There's a sense of realism. People will claim that Netflix shows are just sort of bloody and just trying to be gritty for gritty's sake. But I think it's more than that. I think it is necessary to have some content that feels more like this, that you realize these are people, they can get broken. They are not always super wealthy, godlike beings. There is a different space that this show and these characters fill that is really missing outside of maybe Spider-Man on occasion. But in a lot of cases, 
the ubermensch of superheroes are these people who are other and great and awesome and amazing and it's just they're more separated and these shows have done an amazingly good job of trying to pull it in bring it lower and bring it closer to reality and this season tries farther in that direction with varying degrees of success yeah <laughs> and really you could take Jessica Jones and have it produced as it actually is, which is, it's a noir detective show. Right. This is noir. And there's a lot of value in doing superhero in noir. I think that has worked in other comics as well. And it's a good genre for, I think, superheroes in general, because it produces that slightly odd feel, sort of just separate from our reality, but it still works. And I think as a noir piece, Jessica Jones would work. But I think as a noir superhero piece, they can bring in a lot of things that give it a lot more depth and play in the superhero space, but still feel grounded. Exactly. Plus, you don't have to have Jessica Jones using her powers, you know, 80% of the time for something like this to be interesting. Instead, she uses her skills as a PI more often than not to get her to where she needs to be with a particular case or scenario, and then she uses her powers only if she absolutely needs to. She's not just using them to use them. She's not Tony Stark showing off or anything like that when he makes some fancy new suit and you know does these big press events and everything like that. Instead, she works more in the shadows, which, like you said, goes along with the noir style of the show. And I really like that. And I totally understand if, you know, Daredevil season one turns some people off of these shows because of how bloody and gruesome that was. But at the same time, I felt like, you know, if you turn on the news on any given day, you could see something similar to that happening, whether it was someone being gunned down or, you know, run over, what have you. The news always has some of the worst stuff happening in the world on there. And, you know, there's a lot of that going on. So like you said, this really feels more grounded in reality, even though there are aspects that aren't super realistic, which is totally fine. It still gives you these characters that I think you can more easily relate to because they don't always have the right answer either. And I know in the MCU, they've had characters who have failed at times, but they always come out on top. And with Jessica Jones, it's like, no matter what she does, she always seems to feel like she's failing in one aspect of her life or another. And nothing is ever perfect for any of these characters. But I think we should definitely dive into some of those characters, especially the new ones, because while there weren't too many new characters, I think maybe there are four or five of note for this season. What did you think of the new characters they introduced? I thought they were really interesting and they did a really good job of giving a very different kind of foil for Jessica and everyone. And I think they worked really well for that. The biggest choice they made is they basically have a bad guy who's not a super-powered bad guy. And that choice is a big one, and it has a huge impact in not only how the episode plays out, but also how do you get to the climax? How do you win when you're not actually fighting someone who no one else could possibly take down? You're the only person who can. And we get this bad guy who isn't actually that. They are someone who is just mortal and even less powerful than versions in the comics. 
And I think that's really interesting in uh, the bad guy character of Gregory Salinger. And I think that character, while clearly crazy, gives an interesting different problem. Gregory Salinger felt like a character who came straight out of Dexter, pretty much to me. You know, he was this extremely smart character thinking he was never going to get caught doing what he was doing, which in a sense is how Dexter was. You know, he worked at the police department. He was a blood spatter analyst and he took his anger out on other serial killers though. So that's one of the big differences between those two, but just how he carried himself really reminded me of Dexter, you know, thinking he was smarter than everyone else and was going to get away with it no matter what. And then there's all this hatred towards supers. And that is something that ultimately ended up fueling Gregory when he went after Jessica, not once, but twice. And, you know, even still, they went at it after that. And they broke into each other's houses so often. <laughs> they sure did. It was a really good character, I think, to add, though it does, I think, open up some issues with the plotting of the show, which we'll get to later. Right. We also see the introduction of Eric Gelden, who, while is a superpowered character, is not a very superpowered character, but they chose one which is a really interesting power to put in here. If you have basically a paladin from D&D who can literally detect evil, where's your moral compass? And I think that was a great thing to add to this universe where Jessica is trying to figure out what to do and how to do it right. And then you give her, and in this case also Trish, someone who basically just point to someone and say they're bad. What does that do to this universe? Yeah, and Eric Gelden is a character who comes from the comics as well. So we can dive into that when we get into more of the comics-based discussion. But they definitely changed his character to fit the show because, like you said, they aren't using any costumes or anything like that. So it takes a minute to sort of have things click like, oh, which character is this supposed to be? Especially the ones that don't have big names like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Daredevil, you know, those are recognizable names. But some of the role players basically in the show might not be as well known to some people. And I think the way they handled putting his character into this season was done pretty well. And he's not a character I even really knew anything about going into this season. So it'll be me checking out Marvel Unlimited and be, being like, okay, where did this character appear? What do I need to read? <laughs> exactly. And we also have the addition of Zaya, who is Malcolm's love interest, and she works for Jerry Hogarth at her law firm. And you know, sometimes love interests can really just be a downer on a season. But I think given where Malcolm came from and how far he's come in these three seasons, it made sense to have him go through the motions with that, especially with someone as successful and sort of high-powered as Zaya. And I mean, just high-powered in within her job, not necessarily actually powered. <laughs> But certainly in her personality. like She's yeah. a strong character. She is basically someone who's possibly on, on a trajectory that might align with Jerry's. And therefore, she basically is presenting this path while Malcolm's trying to find himself. And it was an interesting addition, even though she kind of gets sidelined as Malcolm sort of... Spirals. <laughs> flails. Spirals. Flails. Exactly. 
So I don't know if we really get very much from her as a character, but she certainly presented very clearly this is a world which Malcolm could be choosing to live in. Yeah, we definitely know where she stands at all times, not only with her career, but with their relationship as well. And it's Malcolm who is more on the fence about everything. One of the other additions is Jillian, who is the assistant, I guess, scheduler for Jessica Jones now. You know, she has a little desk in the office now. The office is a little nicer, but not too much nicer because it's still the same apartment. (laughs) I think she was just sort of this fun little addition. We didn't need to know too much about the character. We got everything we needed from her personality. And she was just such a great compliment to Jessica in the office that it provided some of that comic relief that you might not necessarily get unless Jessica is the one sort of making the jokes. And she really worked well being comic relief, yet still being very serious and still being one of the more reasonable characters on this entire show. Like if you want who's the stable character who makes reasonable decisions, this is that character. And you really want that in an administrator for this type of business. So it works really well. And I agree that it's nice to have someone who, unlike Malcolm, really doesn't take what Jessica throws her way and gives us a nice board for things to bounce off of Jessica in a very different way than sort of a lot of people who just sort of take it. Yeah. The other new character that plays some role of significance here is Eric's sister, Brianna, or Barry, if you will. And she is a prostitute, and she's in danger because of Salinger. You know, he's going after the family members of Eric and Jessica and basically just trying to cause as many problems as he can for the two of them. And, you know, while Eric is powered, he's not necessarily using his powers for good. He's just blackmailing people to get money out of them. And, you know, there's still something good in him. And you can tell he really cares about Barry. And then, you know, she sort of gets in the way of Malcolm's relationship with Zaya. And even though she isn't present for a good majority of the episodes when she is it sort of just gets to the point and is like okay this is what we need this character to to do she's here and then she's not and then you know when she comes back we know exactly where she stands as well i worry a bit that she ends up being a bit more of a plot device than would be nice though because she basically exists when she needs to exist she's a damsel that needs to be saved on occasion She has a bit of control of her life when she comes back, and there's the difference there that we see. There's sort of a path that people who are in a bad state and a bad position can actually get out of that, which is nice to see. It's almost like she and Zaya are basically just sort of being presented as these are different paths for Malcolm to choose between, and Malcolm doesn't really choose as much as flails. But it was a little unfortunate, I think, that Brianna kind of gets short-shifted for making many decisions on her own in that regard. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. At least when she is sort of the damsel in distress who needs to be saved, she doesn't really want to be saved, which I thought was kind of nice. You know, she doesn't just go with whatever her brother tells her at first. And so there's this little push and pull between them, you know, the family tension and everything. And, you know, those moments were nice, but they were sort of few and far between when it came to how much we actually saw of her character. And as far as most of the other characters go, 
we pretty much know who they are, what they want to do at all times, pretty much. You know, we know that Jerry is dying, not super quickly, but not super slowly either. And you have Trish, who I'm sure we will talk quite a bit about later. (laughs) And Dorothy is just Dorothy, you know, nothing has really changed with her character. One of the things that some of these characters like Brianna give us is the show really does want to communicate things that are very accurate and present properly. People who are in down and out situations or maybe not in the best position is you can't help them if they're not able to be helped and willing to be helped. Malcolm is very frequently in this position of, I'm going to be a helpful, supportive person here, but here's a path I can offer and you have to go through it. And he's in this position with Brianna. He's in position with Trish later on as well. And I like that about Malcolm. He knows he can't just fix a problem. All he can do is sort of be someone who can support someone else to try and find their way. And I like that about Malcolm, even if he does flail a lot in the season. Yeah. And a quick note about two of the other characters. You have Kith Leone and Detective Costa. And both of them play significant roles, but they don't really impact the overall story too terribly much. You know, Detective Costa is trying to work with Jessica. And as we both know from watching all three seasons, she doesn't always work super well with others, especially cops. And Kith is a former flame of Jerry's, so another love interest, but she still finds herself in trouble. And sometimes that trouble kind of detracts from, I think, better parts of the story. And there was a lot more of Jerry going in a much different direction than I expected this season. There is generally a question as to what people would think of the amount of time spent on Jerry and Kith during this season. Yeah. It's a lot of content, and a lot of it's just very sad to watch, and it's kind of hard to watch. And it gets a little repetitive at times, too. It gets a little repetitive, and I think it's done well, though. Like, the problem I have is I have difficulty not enjoying the experience, not what I'm seeing, in that Jerry and Kith, they act it so well. And I think these characters are doing what they're doing, and they're presenting it well, and I think it's written well. I like the story. It's just, maybe if I wanted a movie of this, I could just watch a movie of this and then cry for a day. (laughs) It almost felt like they were going to give us like a Hogarth and Associates spinoff, which with as much as the law firm was involved in the story this season. But even then, the law firm was mostly just a prop for jerry to be making horrible decisions yes and that's what they want to present it and it's it's interesting that as a function of them writing this show that they give this heavy big storyline to jerry's character that doesn't really have anything to do with jessica or superpowered people or anything but it is well done and it is an interesting story it's just an interesting choice like some people might consider it filler but it's good tv yeah so uh... it's just not directly related to Jessica Jones's story. So you're kind of like, okay, I understand why this is in here, but I kind of want more of Jessica Jones, please and thank you. (laughs) I think I was mostly happy with it, but every once in a while I would think, are they really doing all of this? (laughs) I mean, it's also part of Malcolm's story as well, because Malcolm sees that power gives you, mortal power gives you, with money and lawyers. 
and whether he wants to go down that path, because this season's a lot about using powers and whether you use them morally or not. And we're seeing that in superpowers and we're seeing this in not superpowers. And maybe they just wanted to show us that mirror. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's dive into the plot a little more because we've touched on it just by talking about most of these characters here. But really, Salinger is sort of the big bad for the season. But by the end of the season, you know, you have more than one villain and Jerry sort of does her part in enabling the villain quite a bit throughout the season. So you have all of these things going on that do eventually connect at the end of the season. And I think the way they framed Salinger was done pretty well. I think there were still some probably more minor things about the character that just were kind of like, oh, okay. Of course he has, you know, 800 degrees and whatever. (laughs) And just little things like that where it was like, how smart do you need to make this character just for him to have an ego sort of thing? You know, because Jerry is obviously very, very good at what she does, but she is going to stick to law. You know, with Salinger, it's like he had to be competent in so many different things in order to, I guess, be satisfied with his life. And then we find out that he is like living off of his brother's money because his brother had passed and he just sort of got all of the inheritance and doesn't really work. So it's like, okay, that's a little weird. You would think he is someone who would want to actually keep busy when he's not killing people so he could have a better cover than he actually does. If only for the alibi's sake. Right. It does seem a bit strange that they pushed they pushed some aspects of his character so much in the plot. From my perspective, the biggest question for the season is, does Jessica Jones work as a police procedural? <laughs> the show is now, okay, this is now a show about a murderer. We know who it is. We don't actually really get there till about episode seven. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other people who have to start spiraling out of control before we get there. But this is, does it work as a police procedural where you have superpowered people that are kind of helping and kind of getting in the way of the police process? And that's sort of a, what's this show about? And at that point, it becomes a bit tricky because the plot really depends on a lot of, is this working as a police procedural? Do these elements of the plot and the crime and the getting caught, now I have to look into those things and say, does this all make sense? And you start to pay attention to a lot of details that in a lot of superhero show, well, they just punched harder. You don't have to worry about it. So in some regards, I think they made a, a difficult choice here because they had to have a very tight plot to try and hold it on as a superpowered mixed police procedural. I think the whole police procedural thing was done more effectively when you had a character like Misty Knight in the police role. But with Detective Costa, you know, he has so much going on in his personal life that only very briefly gets touched on when you see him and his husband going in for an adoption meeting. And you have all of this stuff going on with him, but we don't really know too much about him. And I think because in the other shows, we learn much more about who Misty Knight is as a person. That way works a little bit better. But here, it's mostly Jessica and Detective Costa trying to help each other out, but also kind of getting in each other's way. And they don't really dive into that relationship 
quite as much as you would want them to if they really wanted this to work as a not necessarily a straight police procedural, but more along those lines. Because, you know, from what I can tell, at least based on how it has been portrayed in TV and film, PIs and cops don't always get along, even though sometimes PIs are retired cops. So that makes no sense to me. But it's just one of those things where there seems to always be characters butting heads between those two professions. And while they butt heads enough, it's like Jessica isn't trying to necessarily get in their way. She just wants to do what's right. And I think the show does a fairly good job of it. There's points in it where I feel, "Ah, does that really quite work? Or if they just communicated a little more, things could have been solved a little more easily. At some point, they're just keeping information from the police, which makes it really hard to do a police procedural. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) And there's maybe a question of, is there a lull in the story when that happens? But I think for the most part, they do a pretty good job. Yeah, a lot of it was Detective Costa didn't push nearly as much as I feel like Misty Knight does with the superpowered heroes, because she is like, no, I'm a cop. This is how we do things. And you're just going to tell me what you know, so we can work on this together, especially in Luke Cage. And even if that didn't necessarily end well, as far as Misty and Luke's relationship, you know, here, it just felt like Detective Costa kind of tried, but kind of didn't at times. And the same with Jessica. So they never really had that kind of connection that we've seen in some of the other shows. To me, the scene which was kind of missing that we really needed was a lot more pushback when Jessica and Trish rescue Eric when Eric is kidnapped Mm -hmm. by Greg. And they kind of save him. And then they throw a bunch of lanterns in the air as to why they can't actually tell the police anything. And it took me a moment to realize how little that actually moved the plot forward. And that's sort of where uh, you're making it harder for yourself. And maybe it's not as bad as I think I felt it sometimes in season one of Jessica Jones. Mm -hmm. But still, that was a point in the show where there's sort of the speed bump. And it's like, okay, we just did all these things and all this stuff happened. And we're just not moving forward with it right now. And then Eric just kind of disappears for a bit. And then, yeah, Eric and Brianna just go poof. And they kind of put lanterns on it reasonably, but it was a mistake. It was a mistake for Eric. It was a mistake for Trish. All the choices made at that point were wrong. And it would be nice if the police detective could have just talked to them and said, no, 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 you can't do this. More people are going to die because of the choices you're making here. And that's a a point where they really made some bad choices. And to be fair, this is a season where people make a lot of bad choices. (laughs) Yeah. But this is the one which I had difficulty with. Absolutely. One of the things that seems to be happening with all of these Netflix seasons is the pacing of the seasons just sort of gets off at some point along the way. And you're like, okay, wait, you had all of this going for you and then you did this You made this one choice, and then you kind of threw everything else off. And that's what that decision really felt like, at least for a few episodes, I would say, because, you know, we understand why Eric and Brianna leave. But at the same time, Eric is just choosing to save his own skin, even though he seems like he wants to be a hero like Jessica, but then he doesn't really make that sort of effort until he comes back towards the end there. And then, you know, we're left with that scene of him and Detective Costa meeting. You know, Jessica wanted the two of them to meet so that they can then work together. And 
it was like, okay, I understand why Jessica did that. But at the same time, is she really sure she can rely on Eric right now? (laughs) But even beyond Eric, there was never a conversation about whether Trish should talk to the police because she was there. Right. She could have communicated what happened. They could have said that Eric was there and just not handed him over. There was a pile of other options. Mm -hmm. It's this point where Trish maintains her anonymity. That's a bad path. That choice has ramifications later on. And it wasn't even mentioned that maybe Trish should come forward too to the police because it basically was just Jessica Jones saying what happened. Right. They had the chef who had an experience of being kind of kidnapped slash bondage play with Greg Mm -hmm. earlier. And that character is never mentioned again, even though they have a huge amount that could impact, I would assume, the police case because they were a near victim. Yeah. And it's just, they're forgotten. And it's like this massive speed bump. That was one of the things that just, ah, really, guys? It's what they get wrong with the police procedural side of things. It's like, no, you got to <laughs> yeah, follow through on these things. But overall, you know, I like the idea of Jessica Jones going after not necessarily your everyday criminal, but someone who wasn't powered. You know, she's going after this dangerous serial killer who already tried to kill her. So it's a very real threat to not only her, but just everyday people. You know, this isn't someone who is going after just supers, even though he hates them, which you would think if he hated them that much that he would find ways to just try and kill a bunch of the superpowered people. But I guess he's still at least slightly intimidated by them. But because Jessica isn't bulletproof and her main power is you know, super strength. She's not as indestructible as someone like a Luke Cage. Well, that, and he is crazy. And it's not quite clear how he's picking his victims. Yeah. I think the only thing I noticed was that until Dorothy, I thought they were all men. I think so. Yeah. So that really seemed to be the only MO that he had, basically. And he sort of spins out once he goes after Jessica, she doesn't die, and then she starts going after him because then it becomes this vendetta between the two of them. And he wants to show that he's more powerful than her, and just killing random everyday people isn't necessarily going to accomplish his goal. And again, as smart as he is, you know, he's not necessarily going to be rational about everything just because of you know, the nature of him being a serial killer. He already thinks he's smarter than everyone else. So he's under the impression that he's just going to get away with everything. And eventually he doesn't. But there's a bunch of strangeness in how they kind of catch him and get information from him. Like, I'm surprised when throwing a foot or whatever limb it was into his apartment means he leads them to his cargo container full of body parts. And there's a bunch of stuff there was just Is that really how you catch him? It just seemed like bad, dumb decisions on his part. They kind of want to play in both ways, and the reality is it works because he's not wise. He's smart, and he's not very centered. He's going to make decisions that are bad, too. It's only when he's fully in the zone of doing exactly what he wants to do that it works, and he can be pushed off the rails as well. Yeah, there's a lot of pushing people off of rails in (laughs) this season, especially, and you know, do you want to go ahead and dive into sort of these overall character arcs as we get into talking about Trish a little more here? There's one other thing I wanted to mention about Eric, because okay. when watching this, 
I was waiting for a left turn with Eric because the way he sort of shows up and hits on Jessica, the fact that they get attacked right afterwards, and they give you the impression that the attacker either knows who Eric is or is going after them. And then there's that weird scene where Eric approaches Salinger on the street and we only get sort of half of their conversation. We get half of it from Eric and we see the other half of it. And I was trying to wonder whether there was something else going on there, whether there was a, another twist in the plot happening with Eric. And it was distracting to me. And I was curious if other people also thought that Eric kind of seemed either too convenient or was potentially maybe had other plots in place. And at the point where they vanish and then come back, it's clearly not the case. But up until that point, I wasn't sure whether Eric should be believed or trusted. Yeah, it was really hard to tell where he stood for some of the season because at first it seems like, you know, he's a guy in trouble and Jessica is someone who helps people get out of trouble. And then we find out he's blackmailing people. He has a gambling problem. And there's just so much going on with this character that you never really fully trust him, I don't think, even by the end of the season when he's sitting at the bar with Detective Costa. It's like, is he really going to do the right thing, though? <laughs> well, especially now that he realizes that he gets a high out of bad guys dying. Yeah, and obviously the same and more can be said for Trish because she is the one who is actually doing the killing of the bad guys. And I guess that in a way makes Trish a little more like Dexter because she's just going after the bad guys and, you know, killing them as quickly as she can, essentially. And it just feels like such a far, far trajectory from where she was in season one. This is the interesting thing I find in this show. This is a show about Jessica Jones, but it isn't really a show about Jessica Jones's character arc. Jessica Jones is Jessica Jones. She learns a bit here and there. She decides who to trust differently here and there. She has some things to cope with, but she is not the person with the rounded character arc. Right. The rounded character arcs are predominantly, over all three seasons, Trish and Malcolm. They're the ones who are actually going through these experiences and their lives are changing as a function of it. And they are making strong decisions about what they're doing with their lives. And it's really those two that I feel are the rounded, developed characters. And we see this in Malcolm trying to find more and more moral center. And Trish, who, as you were discussing in the previous podcast, maybe not making the best decisions and not being the nicest person there as she's jealous of Jessica's powers and trying to get her own. And now we're going to see, well, does power corrupt as we see what happens when Trish gets powers? And Trish becomes, I think, this character arc over all three seasons. And do you believe this character arc is going to have a huge effect of whether you like this season? Yeah, and there are two sort of Trish-centric episodes in this season. And the second one was actually directed by Kristen Ritter, which kind of bums me out because it might have been one of my least favorite episodes of maybe the entire series. All the uh, flashback? It was the episode where, I mean, both had flashbacks, but these were mostly flashing back to more recent times and Trish doing her physical training and everything like that. I believe it was later on 
I think it was episode 11, where we see a lot of the flashbacks of Trish as a child and how her relationship was with Dorothy. And both of those episodes to me, really, I was like, okay, you know, we kind of know Trish's backstory a bit here. And, you know, by the third season, we've seen where Trish is going. So I wasn't entirely sure we needed two episodes that focused a lot on Trish becoming powered and Trish's relationship with her mom, because it just felt like we got enough of that in the first two seasons where we had a pretty good idea of what to expect from Trish this season. And I think the second episode, it reuses some of the scenes from the first episode, because instead of following what Jessica did after, you know, Trish calling her or whatever, we see what happened with Trish and after she leaves and everything like that. So there's just so much that felt a little too reused with that episode. I was like, okay, this is sort of like us flashing back to when she was doing her teen idol days kind of thing. And she was off singing and in clubs all the time. And it led to her drug addiction and things like that. It's like, you know, we got that episode already. We don't really need more of Trish's issues, (laughs) you know, to be flashed back upon or anything like that. And I get why that episode focused more on Trish if Kristen Ritter was directing it. It just felt like it was way too soon in the season to just have an entire episode pretty much about Trish. I was okay with it to a degree, but I had a lot of the same reaction, which is there are two episodes that are basically, we saw a point of view of Jessica, and now we're going to replay the entire events with point of view from Trish. And that's how we're going to do a bunch of reveals. And I kind of understand why they wanted to do it, but it felt like they spent about twice as much time doing it than they should have. It felt there was not enough variation in what we were seeing and what we were learning for it to really have been worth the time. Maybe they should have still done that point of view switch. It's really important if we're going to buy Trish's character arc that we really have to focus on Trish. But they also are a show about Jessica Jones. They want to focus on Jessica, so they're just going to film both. And... I agree. It felt too much, especially in the second episode. The second episode was, really, that's what you're doing? I was surprised at how far they went in repeating the same story points over again. I kind of liked it, but it was too much, and I agree in that regard. But it was so important that we have a chance to see Trish and maybe buy into that character arc. Maybe they didn't have a choice. Yeah, I guess so. It's just one of those things where I think by season three, I was pretty tired of Trish as a character and then to just have her make even more bad decisions and then she turns into the villain by the end of the season it's like so much more has happened with Trish as far as character art goes than like you said with Jessica and Jessica is by far my favorite parts of you know these seasons her relationship to who she's going up against and her relationship with Trish and Malcolm and everyone else throughout these three seasons has been far more interesting to me than what Trish is off doing on her own. I'd like to say, though, I really liked the training montages. Those I thought were great. I think having someone develop superhero powers and then figuring them out and learning them and having to work a little bit. I really liked the training montage. I was happy with that stuff. It was fun parkour, and I think that worked well. But overall, uh, Trisha's story arc is hard. Yeah. They kill her mother off, and they show how damaging her mother was to her. Right. I would say the second episode of the season versus the 11th one 
where they go back and see what Dorothy was like. I would say that second episode where it was just all Trish was less rewarding for me. I didn't mind the other one quite as much, but I would have loved to also have them show what Dorothy was like with Jessica a little more. I know we got some of that in previous seasons, but they both lost Dorothy, even if neither of them really got along with her all that well. So just to have it focus on Trish, I was like, okay, we know Jessica was around at some point during all of this, and yet they sort of just left most of that out. For the most part, I think it did work with Trish. I think giving her an evil detector is a dangerous thing. Having Eric and Trish together was, I think, a very nice touch because it gives Trish the moral justification to start down that path. And it's sort of this baby step, well, wait a second, if you actually can detect evil, you can act on that. And that helped a lot. That worked well. And initially, she isn't trying to kill them. It's she kills two people accidentally. Mm -hmm. To be fair, she's still beating them up. But I think for the most part, it does a fairly good job of showing Trisha's trajectory. Because we see her in second season. She's not being very nice there either. Right. She is trying to get power. She is trying to be able to fight back. She is throwing herself in dangerous situations. She's making bad calls. And here we're saying, if that person has powers, guess what? Power corrupts. And giving her those powers and someone who can point to her to say that's the bad guy, there's a temptation there. And I think the show wants to play in that space. And I think they did a pretty good job. Like For the most part, I'm okay with the story arc Trish had, but it was hard to watch. Yeah. And they know this is the last season of Netflix Marvel TV shows. They can do whatever they want. So they did maybe something that you wouldn't do in a lot of TV shows, which is one of your main characters just became the bad guy. <laughs> right. And she was supposed to be on the side of good when everything started and she first got her powers because she wanted to be like Jessica, but she ends up not being quite like Jessica by the end of this. And one thing I do want to note with Jessica's character arc or lack thereof is that they still sort of bring things full circle when they bring back Luke Cage in the final episode. And I thought that was such a nice moment that I wasn't remotely expecting at all. You know, she just needs sort of this familiar, reasonable person <laughs> to tell it like it is and convince her to do the right thing. Because this entire season, she was fighting for Trish. And then Trish goes and does the one thing Jessica tells her not to do. And she has to do something about it at that point. She can't just let that slide like she was with everything else during the season. And they put a lot of it on Jessica's plate, which maybe they didn't need to, because they could have had Salinger tell people who Trish was. Salinger's life was in risk. Yeah. I do not buy that he would not out Trish as being the person trying to kill him. He died because of that, probably. They really wanted the scene where it's Jessica that tells the world that Trish is the master vigilante. And it has to be taken down. So they really wanted that scene. And ah, I don't buy that it would have come out earlier. And then wanting it to be Jessica to have to do that dramatically is nice, but doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it was one of those things where they definitely shoehorned that into it. But I just sort of liked the quick conversation between Jessica and Luke. And he was like, look, I had to do this too. I had to send someone I cared about to the raft, but it was the right thing to do. Yeah. My only question in that scene was, does Luke Cage know that it's Trish? I don't know, because 
I feel like he must. He probably does just because of, you know, the sort of quote unquote business that he's in now. You know, he is running the club in Harlem still, we would assume, based on the suit that he's wearing. But he probably has lots of eyes and ears just all around New York in general, I would think, because of the nature of the club and how he's trying to really just keep things under control. So he's like, you know what? I keep seeing this chick pop up in the news. I'm going to find out more about it. And I really did like the scene, too. I loved that show as well. And I love the actor for him. He does an awesome job as Luke Cage. And it was good. But I just kept thinking, how does he know it's Trish? Because this conversation only makes sense if he knows it's Trish. And that aspect pulled me out a bit. But it was nice seeing him play that role one more time. Yeah, definitely. Well, is there anything else with the character arcs that you want to discuss before we sort of compare some of this to the previous seasons, which we've done a little bit here and the comics? Well, I mean, the only other real character arc that changes a lot is Malcolm's. And in the first season, Malcolm is trying to get himself out of the hole that he and Kilgrave put him into. And in the second season, we see him trying to sort of find himself and not quite succeeding, but in a trajectory. And in this season, we see him figuring out where he really wants to be morally, even if he's not quite making decisions, he's just making non-actions to push him in a direction. But overall, I quite like Malcolm in the show. I think he's a really interesting character. He is generally trying to do the right thing. And a lot of people aren't in this show, so it's nice to see that and make something of himself in a way that he's so capable and he just needs to decide really, instead of just sort of going with the flow, decide what he's going to do. And I liked his character arc overall across all three seasons. Yeah, he went in a much better direction than Trish did. He was trying to find (laughs) his moral compass for this entire season. And even though he still made mistakes and still screwed up, he really just wanted to help people, but he didn't want to do it the way Jerry was doing it. You know, he was like, I cannot continue to help these people. The suits and the money are great, but this is not what I want to do with my life. And to stand up to Jerry like that, too, is just a huge testament to him knowing who he wanted to be, even if he didn't know how exactly he was going to get to be that person. Yeah. And hopefully he can, in the future, make more proactive, reasonable choices in his romantic endeavors. But it was a good character arc, I thought. Yeah. So in comparison to season one and season two, I almost feel like this was sort of the only way you could end this series and sort of cap it off with that definite, okay, I accomplished this this season. Trish is going to the raft and Jessica has that moment at the very end there where she hears Kilgrave. And just to have that come full circle too, it was like, okay, yes, this was a pretty good ending given what we had to work with for the season. I think so. And I think really, even over all of the other Netflix Marvel shows, I think as a whole, these three seasons together work better with each other. A lot of the other shows flailed a little bit and changed direction and maybe were trying to figure out their footing. I haven't seen The Punisher yet, I admit, those two seasons. But these three, I think, hold together fairly well as a complete story as well as individual stories, better even than the other shows. And I rank Jessica Jones very highly among the Netflix Marvel shows. Yeah, so do I. And I think, you know, as far as what they pulled from the comics in the Alias series, which was the series that Brian Michael Bendis wrote, 
and really put a spotlight on Jessica Jones, you know, that's where we get the Purple Man storyline from. And that was where season one came from. And, you know, there aren't too many Jessica Jones focused comics, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. There is Alias, which ran for 28 issues. And then you have Jessica Jones appearing in The Pulse, which is a series that Brian Michael Bendis wrote after Alias. And it had a bunch of other Marvel characters in it. You know, I think Spider-Man appeared in it and, you know, sort of a bunch of the major superheroes. So it wasn't solely focused on her. And then they came back and there was a Jessica Jones series recently before Brian Michael Bendis went over to DC Comics. So there's quite a bit that you can dive into if you enjoyed a lot of aspects of these three seasons. And I would definitely, definitely recommend everyone listening to this go read Alias if they haven't yet, because just the nature of this character offers for a much different story in the comics than we're typically getting with your Spider-Mans, Iron Mans, Thors, and characters like that. I'm definitely going to get around to reading these comics because the Alias ones I think would be good. I read Squirrel Girl, so I know that at some point Squirrel Girl is a nanny to Jessica <laughs> Jones's child. Yeah. That's a strange connection. But hey, very different comics, I expect. <laughs> yeah, and the whole relationship with Luke Cage is straight from the comics as well that we saw, even though things went a different direction for those two characters in the Netflix series. I think it's just something that they use to their advantage. They pulled these storylines from the comics that don't necessarily need to play out the same exact way in the TV show to sort of give the comic book reading fans something to get a little excited about. And, you know, all of these shows definitely played towards the comics because I don't remember if we saw it in season one or season two, but I think there is a brief moment where we see Jessica in her superhero getup the same way we see Luke Cage in the, you know, bright yellow shirt with the chain on him. And, you know, they just do these throwbacks very quickly in these Netflix shows to the costumes from the comics without making us feel like we need to have the costumes for the entire series. This show knows what it's doing, yeah. and it's made a decision about costumes, and it's going to tell you that. Because, yeah, in the, I think, first season, Trish shows us, the I think, the Pulse costume yeah. to uh, Jessica, and Jessica looks at her like death, and that's great. We see sort of accidental costume for Luke Cage. Right. And in this story, we briefly see Trish in a Hellcat costume. Yeah, because she's trying she says, on the outfits. No, yeah. <laughs> exactly. They really do know what they're doing, and I think they're making the right call because there's lots of things in the comic books and the history and how they're done. I think we can move past them. We can go beyond that and treat them differently going forward. I find it funny that I went and had to look into these characters that arrived, like Eric and Salinger. These are characters from the comic books. They have names. Eric is Mindwave. Salinger is Fool Killer or one of them, and they're not mentioned in there. There are no costumes. Their powers have been reduced for the most part, and it works really well. I'm happy with them taking the comics and twisting them in a way that I think works really well in modern TV. Yeah, there are some good Hellcat comics out there too. I can't recall the names off the top of my head, but I know 
when season one came around, it was either shortly before or shortly after that I had read some of the Hellcat comics on Marvel Unlimited. So once I figure out what those are, I will be sure to link to all of these either on Amazon or Marvel's website so everyone can check those out if they are interested. I know sometimes it's hard to compare the comics to the shows just because there's such different mediums. You know, you can draw anything you want on a comic book page, anything at all. If you can think of it, you can draw it probably or, you know, have the artist draw it if the writer thinks of it. But with TV, you have to be a little more technical and specific with what you are planning to show on the screen because you have to be able to make that happen. And obviously you can with CGI and a lot of that stuff now, but at the same time, you know, the comics get way more ridiculous than even some of the MCU and DC movies do at times. I think there's a budgeting thing that has to be dealt with with TV. Also that. (laughs) It's sort of why what superheroes do we get on TV? Generally, it's superheroes that punch things. Yes. (laughs) Because punching things is not that hard to do. And it's not expensive. (laughs) And it's not expensive. You don't get as many really snazzy-looking, effect-driven superhero characters that all have to be CGI. You don't get as many wild aliens. Like, it's unfortunate as a function of budget. Yeah. It's cool that TV show superheroes can be made at all and work really well now with the cost of production and the cost of effects going down. But it's certainly a problem. And it's sort of why animated shows are a good genre for superheroes. Because you can have that freedom where you don't have to actually make anything practically. You can just draw it and do it in animated. And some of the DC animated movies are good in that regard. But I think they basically have that in mind when they make these Marvel Netflix shows for TV budgets. And I think they do a really good job. Yeah. Do you want to take a stab at ranking (sighs) all of the seasons that you've seen? Or should we just rank the Jessica Jones seasons? I have a full ranking of everything except for The Punisher. Okay. And it's not really fair in that it tails off really quickly at the end. Yes. (laughs) All the ones in the middle are still pretty enjoyable. I like them. They're hard to decide. My full ranking, um, now that all the Marvel Netflix are done, is Jessica Jones Season 2, Jessica Jones 1, Daredevil 1, Jessica Jones 3, Luke Cage 2, Daredevil 3, Luke Cage 1, Daredevil 2, Iron Fist 2, and then way lower in the bottom... We have Defenders and Iron Fist 1. Yeah, let me see if I can do this and actually get all of them down, because I have seen all of them, but the problem is I have not updated my list since I think maybe Iron Fist Season 2. I don't even think that was in here. Maybe Luke Cage Season 2 was the last time I updated my list. But <laughs> I have Daredevil Season 1, I think because of how that just kicked things off. I was very, very impressed with that one from the start. Jessica Jones Season 1. Luke Cage season one. I would put Jessica Jones season two, I think, slightly above this one. And then Daredevil season three. And then this season of Jessica Jones. So Jessica Jones season three. And then, oh boy. (laughs) I'm kind of like juggling these. The Punisher season one. And I'll go ahead and put Punisher season two right below that. Then I have Defenders, Daredevil season two, and... I guess Iron Fist Season 2 and Iron Fist Season 1, I, I, that's that's as good as my ranking is going to get right now. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty fair. You know, I did think Iron Fist Season 2 was an improvement over Season 1, but most of the things I liked about that season had nothing to do with Iron Fist, so, you know, that's <laughs> And that's why it was goes. better. <laughs> 
Yeah, Iron Fist 1 was a bit of a slog and painful. Defenders was mostly boring. In the middle, it all gets a lot better. Yeah. I'm probably rare in liking Jessica Jones Season 2 as my favorite. Unlike, I think, in your previous podcast, I didn't feel it had the pacing problems that Jessica Jones Season 1 had. Jessica Jones Season 1, Tenant playing Kilgrave, is truly amazing. Yeah, I might flip 2 and 3. I think, you know... I have such strong feelings about both Jessica Jones season two and season three, but for very different reasons. Yeah. And I can't decide which one I like better. <laughs> so I definitely need to put some more thought into that those rankings there. But that's as close as I can get at, at this very moment off the top of my head. Jessica Jones is probably my favorite superhero TV show that's been made. It catches me in that way, and I really enjoy it. Jessica Jones season two, there's some strange choices made in that, but I think there's a stronger pacing. And the plot holes don't bother me as much as in season three. And in season one, there's pacing issues, even though the acting is so amazing. Yeah. So that's why season two sort of sits on the top for me. Daredevil one, it's hard to separate just the reality of sitting down and watching that for the first time, because it was just so different than anything else we had ever seen. Yeah. And honestly, season three of Jessica Jones would not have happened the way it did without season two, because at the start of this, it's still all about Trish killing Jessica's mother. And then by the end of it, the same thing happens to Trish, although Jessica is not the one who does the killing. It's sort of that thing where I think it finally clicks for her. It's like, oh, this is how Jessica felt when her mother was killed. And, you know, it doesn't click quite enough, though, for Trish to just drop it and let Jessica handle things the way she wants to handle things. She is too overcome with the guilt and the anger and frustration and everything just boiling up inside of her to actually listen to Jessica. And then, you know, she clearly pays the price for it. But yeah, I would say that Jessica Jones and then Daredevil are probably the top two as far as series go for me. And I think with Daredevil, a lot of it has to do with my enjoyment of the first and third seasons, especially. I think the third season really bounced back from that weird sort of split second season where half of it's focused on the Punisher, half of it's focused on Elektra. And then, you know, they just had too many things going on in that one to bring us the Punisher spinoff. So it too many is ninjas, what it is. Too, <laughs> too many ninjas. I yes. think that's really why Jessica Jones holds it over Daredevil overall for me for three seasons, because I think they follow through. Yeah. And a lot of the season will come down to that scene in the police station where Trish comes to this realization, wait a second, I'm the bad guy. They even do give us that scene where, while obviously way too late, they're giving her that moment of realization and understanding. And it's a nice thing to give the character as well, even though they're now kind of screwed. Yeah, exactly. Well, any final thoughts here before we wrap up, David? I think it's a little sad that as Disney has taken over Marvel and is basically pulling everything inside, that the Netflix Marvel shows are ending. But on the other hand, I'm just so happy they existed. I think these have been a wonderful set of shows and a wonderful way of showing we can do superhero stories just a little differently than we've seen them before. Not in crazy movies, not in questionable budget G-rated TV shows, that there's a lot of value in having superhero shows like this. So I hope that Marvel under Disney does go and say, we can make more things like this and play a little more too. I'm really happy they existed and maybe it's good that they ran their course, they gave us some good shows, and then finished. 
Yeah, one thing I hope with the Disney Plus shows and the ones that are going to be on Hulu is that they don't just rely on the big superstars. You know, we know that some of the shows that have been announced for Disney Plus are supposed to have Tom Hiddleston playing his role as Loki. And, you know, all of these characters are supposed to be reprising their roles as the characters they played in the movies, which is going to run up the budget a ton on those shows. (laughs) And, you know, with characters like Luke Cage, Daredevil, Iron Fist, The Punisher, and Jessica Jones, I don't think we would have really ever seen these characters show up in the MCU based on the kinds of stories they were telling there. So Netflix really felt like the best platform at the time for those kinds of shows. And I know they're doing a Howard the Duck series, <laughs> and I believe it's the it's an animated series from Kevin Smith, and that's going to be on Hulu. So it seems like they are going to use Hulu for their more mature content and keep sort of the family-friendly PG-13 and below stuff on Disney+, Plus. which given the fact that Disney, if I'm not mistaken, has pretty much complete control of Hulu now... It makes sense to utilize both platforms to their advantage if they want to keep Disney Plus more family-friendly, geared towards a lot of kids watching that, a lot of parents signing up for their kids to watch it, and then put the more mature stuff on Hulu. I am totally fine with that, mostly because I already have Hulu and Disney already has my money. So I'm kind of just looking forward to what happens next, regardless of whether or not these characters are involved, because I think for the most part, these stories were good enough stories, even if they weren't perfectly executed for these characters. And also, it's just it shows that movies are fine and really long TV shows are fine. But there's something to be said for around a 10 episode story, because in a lot of regards, I like these stories more than I like the MCU movies. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to compare the two just because of the differing budgets and what you can accomplish with each one, but they definitely have their pros and cons either way. And, you know, I'm just here for all the superhero content. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there will be more. Marvel needs to make lots of money from them. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Jessica Jones season three today. Happy to be here. And to our listeners, you can follow us at GeekdomPod on Twitter. Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.